0: Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host Albert, and this is episode 23. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to the greatest show on earth! Wow, wow, what a great introduction. Thank you very much, Mr. Ringmaster. Unfortunately, the die roll after that was a little anticlimactic, but oh well, we're working on it. Anyway, this is uh, the first show in four weeks, it's uh, way later than usual. I had meant to record it I think last week, no the week before last, and I forgot to bring my notebook home where I, where I write all my notes for the episodes, so I wasn't able to record it. And Then last week I was just too busy and things didn't work out and I had time on the computer, so that didn't get recorded. So here we are, two weeks behind schedule. Today's show, as you can guess, is about a circus game. I'm going to be talking about uh, Circus Train by Tom Decker, which uh, I interviewed a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago or two or something. And I'm also going to do a little rambling, talking about using mythic RPG with board games. I've had some thoughts on it, and I want to try it, and I haven't been able to yet, but I'll share what I have so far. Before I start that, though, let me go over uh, some news items I've come up over the last few weeks that I've written down. So the first one is Victory Point Games announced a new cooperative game for 1 to 6 players. They recently announced playtesting for it and it looks like that's been filled up. I'm sorry, it's a 1 to 4 player game with a 6 player variant and it is called Darkest Night. I'm guessing it'll be out in the next month or two. Next is a game by US Game Systems. They also publish a lot of uh, playing cards and tarot decks. And this one is called Hooyah, the Navy SEALs card game. It's for one to four players. It's cooperative. I don't know if it is out yet or not, but I'm guessing it's also coming out soon if it isn't already available. Chankan is going on as I record this, so maybe it's being released there. I don't know. After that, Hex Encounter number four. The That's a Hex Encounter podcast. They're up to about number six or seven right now. An episode number four, they did an interview with a designer of Navajo, which is being published by GMT. I'm sorry, the game is called Navajo Wars. It's designed by uh, Joel Toppin. It's an interesting episode. They, they talk about solid check gaming quite a bit. Uh, I enjoyed that episode, so worth checking out. Made me more even more excited about the game coming out eventually. And GMT has it on its P500 list. Currently, it has 647... Uh, pre-orders so it's gonna get published once it hits 750 maybe sometime next year I guess I think they're the publishing schedules already booked up for the rest of the year pretty much so yeah it would have to be next year next there is a Pathfinder solo adventure available I read this on solo nexus I believe it's a you'd have to buy it online from like the RPG now or something website I will include a link to, to at least a solo nexus uh, blog post about this I haven't played it. Unfortunately, it requires Pathfinder, and I don't have any Pathfinder books. Okay, next up, Victory Point Games again. They announced that they're going to now start creating games in boxes. That's a big deal, because before they said they'll never do that. just too expensive, not worth it. Well, looks like they're going to go ahead and look into doing that and probably start releasing games in boxes soon, specifically because they said it's really hard to get into retail stores, um, game stores, because they don't carry boxes, and... And I guess the packages break easy if they're just in the plastic bags. The boxes might be similar to the Columbia game boxes. We have a, a plain cardboard box with just a logo on it and a sleeve over it. And each game they print a new sleeve and just throw that over the box and they'll have hundreds and hundreds of boxes all the same for every single game. Just with different art and that sort of thing. I think we'll continue to be about the same sizes as the, the published games now. So they would be small Ziploc bags to hold something that's about a... 5.5x8.5 or a larger 85 by 11 size, a bookshelf size. My sixth item, not necessarily really new news, but I hadn't realized that uh, Fantasy Flight Games' Merchants of Venus is uh, going to support solo play. It shouldn't have come across as a surprise because I know the original game supported solo play. For some reason I was in the impression that was not true with the new version, but I'm good, glad to know that I'm wrong about that. I don't know if the game is available or not yet. I don't think it is. My final piece of news is Leve en Mas, the uh, Victory Point State of Siege game, is now available for iPhone and iPad. It's exciting. Not necessarily exciting for me because I have an Android. So I'm waiting for that to be released and apparently will be available on Android soon. Okay, that's it for news. Let's see, the nice thing b- about taking four weeks between each show is that there's a lot more news. And I'm sure I've missed stuff. This is just the ones I've remembered to write down. Okay, so the next up, I wanted to talk about using Mythic RPG to play board games. I was thinking about this. Uh, well, first off, I don't know if you remember Mythic RPG. I talked about it way back in an earlier episode, I think around number 8 or so. Mythic RPG is basically a, a role playing rule set which allows a person to, well, or allows people to play without a DM either a group of players with no DM, or a person playing by himself without a DM. It also allows a DM to play and make stuff up on the fly without having to think about it too much, apparently. The Mythic RPG rulebook could be a whole RPG system to for creating characters and everything, or you could use it along with an existing RPG just for the random scenario creation. A random, not just scenario, but it's a whole, it's a whole game session, so you could play a whole adventure. And randomly determine what's happening, and it uses uh, rules that basically say, in a nutshell, that plausible things are gonna probably happen, but occasionally you're surprised by something. So my thought was, could this work with a board game? Maybe you need to try it. It basically would be used to, I think, to replace an opponent in a two-player game or more players, two or more-player game. Now I know you could already play a two-player game and just play both sides. I tend not to like the idea, kind of look down and poo-poo upon it maybe. Mainly because I've tried it and found it really hard to do. But anyway, so would this work for a board game? Um, I had a couple thoughts. First of all, the game should probably be kind of open-ended so that you're free to do a lot of things. I think when you talk about open-ended games you're generally thinking uh, war games which tend to have a lot more freedom in what a person could do, go where to go on the board, what sort of strategies to use for attacking or defending or whatnot. Do you want to play aggressive or defensive? I mean, and that's true for most games, but... Still, the, the war games tend to be more open-ended, I think. Will still not work... Uh, this will still not work well if you're playing a game with hidden information, because you still will need to look at this hidden information... To to make your decision about whatever your opponent's going to do, and once you've done that, well, his information is no longer hidden. So this again is going to narrow down what games you could play with a lot more. Another concern might be that it could make the game make your opponent less predictable, more chaotic, basically, which might not be realistic. If you're playing with a real person, they might have a strategy to attack on the, let's say, on your left flank, on his left flank, whatever. And you're playing the mythic RPG, and the person could just kind of end up being chaotic and attacking all over the place instead of being consistent. I don't think that'll be an issue if you if you set it up correctly, but you know it's a possible concern. So anyway, so my thought was create an opponent, create some rules for him, how he works. You know, basically say, let's say I'm making a, a new opponent. I'm going to call him Dirk. Dirk, I will say, tends to play pretty aggressively. So most of his moves are usually aggressive in an effort to block me, just as an example. So whenever I am playing for Dirk, I will tend to find the option that I think most suits that and then use the mythic rules and roll to see what really happens. Usually he'll play just what I expected. Other times he'll then go and pull surprise move, roll up some rules, and determine which which move he actually did do, which surprised me. The problem I see with that already is that when I first look to to see what Dirk's move would be, I'm gonna go ahead and choose a move that I think is his optimal move. When I do a die row and find out that he's doing something else maybe it's not an optimal move at all, maybe it's a dumb move, and that might be okay because maybe Dirk just isn't great and maybe I'm not that great at the game either and then we're more evenly matched. I don't know. But that's the idea. If you're playing with uh, three players you might have Dirk and somebody else, a different opponent. Let's name this opponent John. John might end up being a more defensive player. So every time John goes, I will try and make a move that is not attacking but setting myself up to to be safer in case Dirk attacks John or something like that, right? I hope you're following this. Um kinda all over with names I guess and whatnot. But there you go, so now you basically have created a couple AIs, each following their own set of rules, and then using, you're using Mythic and rolling to see how much the character deviates from those rules. So it'll allow you to play the game and still have some surprises about your opponents. Anyway, that's the idea. I went through my collection and looked at games to try. I came up with a few that I think might work. And again, these are generally games without hidden information. One was Dragon Dice, originally published by TSR, published by somebody else, not sure who, which is basically a collectible die rolling game that's almost war gamey light in that you're attacking different regions. It might work there, there's no hidden information, but a player could definitely have strategies. Another game is a, an actual war game, Jenna twenty. I want to try that. And I actually started trying to read the rules for that. I haven't had time to finish it. You know, Shame on me it's only a like 8 page rule book. But I think I've gotten about halfway through it. But that might be one where I could play two sides. And let Dirk play the, the French or the other side. I forget who it is. Uh, anyway. A third game is Radis, Which is published by White Goblin Games. There's no hidden information. And each player takes on different uh, cards with abilities as they choose, and you kind of do that based on some sort of strategy you're going to play with. It's more tactical. uh, It tends to be a pretty tactical game, so I think once you set up the game and you see what cards are available for that game, for that specific game, you could then decide what different strategies exist. Now, honestly, you could probably just do that even without using uh, the mythic rules where... You'll pick your, your strategy, you'll pick Dirk's strategy, you'll pick the other character's strategy. And based on that, each person starts taking the row cards, sticking with that strategy. And, you know, see what happens, what goes from there. That game does have a Solitaire variant available, actually. But still, this would be neat to be able to try it as a multiplayer game, which works better than the Solitaire variant, I think. And my, The fourth game I came a, up with was Carcassonne. Again, that works. It's very tactical. I think, well, I don't know if tactical games are going to work better than strategic games. I don't think necessarily, other than in the sense that if you're playing a strategic game, your strategy is generally going to be secret from the other person. Well, that's only true if you've not really played this game before and you've not played against a person a lot. With a regular opponent in a a regular game, you are going to know that person's favorite strategies, I think. But anyway, Carcassonne, uh, each turn, your draw a tile, and then you figure out where to place that tile. So I think there is some potential to use Mythic with that too. So, anyway, so what games qualify for using uh, Mythic? I think, maybe in summary here, one, you have to be able to play, employ a constant strategy as a player, so you could uh, create an AI with a strategy. Two, it shouldn't be too complex, or at least it should be a familiar game. That way you could make strategies for for Dirk and and play it consistently. And finally, no hidden information. That's just not gonna work in this uh, scenario. So anyway, so that's it. That's my ideas. Hopefully, uh, I'll finish the rules for Gen 20, and I'll try this at some point. Uh, maybe one of you will, has Mythic, and you will try it. I would love to see how that goes. Or maybe I'll just go ahead and try playing both sides more. That's another good idea. Okay, um, so that's that. On to the review. So today's game is Circus Train. It was designed by Tom Decker, published by Victory Point Games in 2010. If you go back and listen to episode number 20, you can hear an interview with Tom Decker. This game is based on a combination of Water for Elephants, which is a novel by Sue Gruen, and it, it is also based on the game Colosseum by Michael Schock. So this is a victory points game, which basically means the components you're going to get are low quality. The game comes in a ziplock bag, and looks like it's an eight and a half by eleven. I'm sorry, it looks like it's an eight and a half by five and a half package. Though so I should say here, I'm not sure. Somebody, a friend, lent, lent me a copy. His copy, he went ahead and put into a nice box. He took, the, uh, he took the picture from the cover that came in the bag and stuck it onto the box. Now I'm not sure if he printed the rule book because this is the original rules but it is 8.5 by 11 size is what I have. And that's also true for the maps and actually this is an 8.5 by 11 size game. Here I'm fiddling with uh, components as I'm talking to you, sorry. Mm, you know, as I said, the game comes in an envelope it's going to bring a, a rule book that is eight pages, eight pages or six pages long. It brings a few decks of cards, one per player, a bunch of counters that have things like clowns and circus horses and uh, human cannonball and stuff like that. Basically different circus acts. It has a map of uh, northeastern U.S. and Canada. Actually, let's see. The map goes as far north as Montreal or Winnipeg, as far south as Richmond, Virginia, all the way to the east coast, and west as far as, well, Winnipeg or Omaha, Nebraska. There's about 25, maybe 30 spaces on the map. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Yeah, it's about 30 spaces, 25 or 30. That's right. So the way the Solitaire game works is you start with one Clown and one other act of your choice is a, a few different acts you could pick from. And then you're gonna travel around the board each month traveling to cities, putting on shows, or traveling to cities to pick up uh, acts from circuses that are no longer that have gone bust. And then every every time you've gone through your deck you're gonna have one card that in which you have to pay for the acts you already own. So the, the bigger circuses and the more acts you have the more expensive it becomes. And you're gonna make your money by placing doing shows. So the way it works is, you're gonna start the game by seating the board with uh, eight random counters from the do- from the bag. There's a set of counters for the first two months, another set of counters for the middle months, and another set of counters for the last months. Each set of counters basically end up having higher value for the shows. So you start low, and also at the beginning, I think there's pr- it looks like there's more counters in the ba- in the mix for um. For acts and defunct circuses, so you, you're going to start the game in one of three Canadian cities, and then go from there. And as I said, eight of the cities in the U.S. are going to have things on them. Some are going to be shows, some are going to be defunct circuses where you could go pick up the acts. And then you have a deck of I think about seven cards. The cards either let you move a number of spaces, generally one or two. One card lets you move three, and another lets you move as many as five spaces. Some of the other some of the cards. Let you put on a show and some are like you know, put on a show or move one space and I think most of the cards that let you put on a show also let you instead pick up an act from one of the defunct circuses so you're managing those seven cards and finally the that one card I already mentioned you get to move two spaces and then you have to pay for all your acts in the solitaire game your money is also your victory points so you end up having to pay for acts that you've picked up and that's taken away from the victory points you're earning basically so it becomes a challenge to manage manage that money and try and keep some victory points going, so the game lasts let me see six months, and each month is either four or five weeks, depending on the month there is let me see one two three, twelve plus fifteen so there's twenty seven weeks total in the game you get twenty seven moves. I found in the solitaire game the it's it's a lot of basically about trying to find the optimal move to to make the most money based on the information that's available on the board it's a little math intensive because well let me step back the way this works is you're going to have you're going to start with a, a clown and one other act like as i said before and they could be horses uh, acrobats or one other let me see what the other act is do do do, do bear with me so as i said you're going to start the game with three counters one of the clowns and they're the cheapest and two others of the following you can pick from horses a freak show or a human can't no, horses freak show or acrobats and you could pick two of the same or two different ones the clowns are cheaper and the in the solitaire game they end up costing you two dollars each time you have to pay out the the horses and acrobats well the acrobats cost six the horses and freak show cost twelve dollars And you start the game with no money. Besides that there's also the human cannonball, which also costs twelve, where there's big cats and elephants, and each of those costs you twenty four. So you can start with some number of counters. And then there's gonna be show counters that you place on the board. As I said you can have eight counters, some of them are gonna be shows, at least two of them have to be shows at the beginning of the game. And some of them are gonna be the defunct acts where you could go pick up some of these other defunct circuses where you could go pick up some of these other acts. Each show, each counter, tells you how much it's going to pay and what acts they're paying for. So, for example, you might play a counter in Indianapolis, and it says it'll pay you $3 for clowns and $10 if you have a freak show. So if you go there and you put on a show, that's what you're getting paid for if you have those counters in your circus. If you have anything else, you could have elephants, but if they're not interested in elephants, they're not going to pay you for those. So when you're playing... Your goal is basically to figure out what moves you can make to get you to the shows that are paying you, and which shows are paying you the most. So it ends up being a game a lot about just figuring out that optimal move. However, that's a really hard thing to do, and you never really know what truly is the optimal move, I think, because each time you go to a location and do a show or take those acts from there, you get to add new counters, and that totally changes your best choice after that. Also, as you're doing this, you're playing those cards from your hand. You recall, I said you have seven cards. You go through that deck of seven, and then you take it back, and you play them again. You can play them in any order, but you can't play a card again until you've gone through the whole deck once. Which means, you know that you have to pay the circus every seven turns. So, as you're playing, you end up deciding, you know, which card do I want to use up to travel to the next circus? Do I want to use a three movement, or... or or one movement that could also be to put on a show you know in some cases one is better in some cases the other and often you just don't really know which is the best choice at least that's what i found so the other thing you could do besides putting on a show is you could hire acts if you go hire an act in a, si- in a city you know there's counters in that city for the acts that the circus had there might be clowns and elephants at that city or there might be some combination you go there and if you say you want to hire acts you roll six at a die for each counter that's on the space. If you roll one through four, you succeed and you take on the act. You just put the counter in your pool. And that's it. It doesn't cost you anything up front. If you ever have three of any counter type, for example, if you ever have three clowns or three horses, if you go to put on a show and they're paying for that, you get paid double. Since So it's a nice bonus. Now, the the three or four times I've played this game, it was a little more. That never came up. I tried to get multiple counters, but it just wouldn't really work out. I don't know if maybe that's just not a a good choice in the Solitaire game or not. Okay, so you're going through the game, you're traveling to cities, hiring new acts and putting on shows. And sooner or later, you're going to play that card that lets you move a couple spaces. But then you also have to pay for your acts that turn. You add up all the counters that you own and figure out their costs and you subtract that from your money. If you run out of money, you lose the game. Otherwise, you just keep going. Right. So now, as you're playing, you know th- there's a balancing act. You you don't want to pay the circus. So you kind of want to put that off as long as you can. But at the same time, if you know you're going to pick up a few new acts, you want to pay before you pick them up, or you're going to have to pay those new acts too, even if they haven't performed yet. So you know you're you're managing your cards. You're managing the different acts you have in the circus. Hang on. Let's, let's step back a minute. I lied. If you don't have enough money for the acts, you don't lose. What happens is you have to choose some of the acts to get rid of and send them away from your circus, and you pay for whatever whatever you keep. So if you can't afford to pay for anything, you're just going to lose all your counters and all your circus without acts. And yeah, if that's happening, you probably are losing. More likely, you cannot afford one act, maybe two. In that case, you pick which counters you want to get rid of. So that's basically the game. We're going to go turn to turn. Oh, hang on. I said there's other counter types. Um, Once you get to the third month, which is June, you take out all the green counters you have from the draw pile. Now the copy I have, it it came with a Crown Royal bag, so you throw all the counters in the bag. So come June, I take all the green counters out of the Crown Royal bag and stick in the yellow counters. And I add two more counters to the board. Once you're in the yellow months, there's ten counters instead of eight. Once you get through those two months, June and July, and you get into August, you take out the yellow counters, and you add in the next color, which is peach. And then you play with the two, month, two months with those. At that point, you get into bigger circuses. They pay a lot more, and there's some two-week circuses, which basically means you have to stay at the location. You have to go to location, play a card to put on a show, and then the following week, play another card to put on a show. If you don't do those two in a row, you just don't get paid at all. So okay, so that's basically the game. You're going to go through the whole game doing that, hopefully making money and then losing a little bit and making more money, losing a little bit, and making more money. And at the end of the game, you check out how much cash you've got and that determines, you know, how well you win or in my case, how poorly you lose. So it's a pretty neat game. It's pretty basic. It's there are advanced rules. I didn't play with advanced rules. I'm not really sure how they work because of that. I think it adds a couple things like reputation and some other stuff. But I just never never had the chance to play that way. The two player game is a little bit different in that you're tracking cash and reputation separately. and your final victory points is reputation and not cash. so they're they're kept separate. and each time I think you do a payout or at the end of each month, you calculate your reputation. The way the reputation works in, in the multiplayer game is the reputation you get, you don't add it to your reputation score you always set it up to that number if it's higher than all your previous shows. So if your previous reputation was five and you did a show now that gets you ten reputation, your score is not fifteen it's just ten. Um, and th- that's I think how it ties back to, Sir- to Colosseum. The advanced game has some other things like special characters with jobs, like you get the ringmaster, you get a couple other people. There's also an expansion which adds another action card and some other stuff some other counters. Now, there's also an online version of the game. I tried that out. It is much easier to play than the printed copy. I mean you like the the, the tactile feel which I really enjoy and that's I think what I like board, more about board games and video games these days. But it does make it a lot easier as you're figuring out where to go to. If you hover over any city it'll tell you if there's an act at that city it'll tell you how much you're gonna make if you go there so it's nice to just hover over every single city and from there decide which one of those with it a show you'd want to go to. Uh, on the other hand I found the the interface for the online application a little kludgy. It, it took a few games for me to figure out how I was supposed to use it and occasionally I make a few mistakes that didn't seem to give you an option for undo. Now you shouldn't really take this as a as a complaint or Put that up at, on the app. It, it's a free app. Somebody made it just uh, for their own sake because they like the game and put it out there and it's you know it's free so that's really cool that you can actually play the game and try it out and see what you think from what i could tell the online app does not have the advanced rules just the basic rules and the art is nice the map is pretty simple and colorful at the same time and just uh, all the cities connected by train tracks and some circus pictures around the borders there's a few there's a victory point track and a month track and another reputation track and like for example you don't use the victory point track at all so in the solitaire game that is just ignored. The cards are nice like for example, the event cards which come with the expansion look like little tickets or something, and then the player deck, again ha- have very much a circusy theme and black and white pictures from old circuses which are really neat to see. And this game is currently on GMT Games. P five hundred list. So if you're interested, it you could go to their website and pre order, or you could go ahead and get it from uh, Victory Point Games. And I should say the Victory Point Games is not the gold standard edition that they've started doing with the really thick counters and all that. This is still the older version of the the game. But if you want to get it now, you know, go to the Victory Point Games. If you'd really prefer to wait and get a nice version, then yeah, go to GMT and pre order and get it up past five hundred and. Towards that seven hundred fifty dollar mark, or seven hundred fifty order mark, where it will finally get published. It is currently at four forty two. I think is what I saw this morning. I mean, look. All right, so that's it. I hope you enjoyed hearing about a uh, circus train. Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you would like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on Board Game Geek, or you can email me at oneplayeralbert at gmail The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected by a Creative Commons license. The song and copyright information can be found at gemendo.com. The show is published in a Creative Commons non-commercial, share-alike license. Thanks for listening.